0: Welcome back to Misunderstood. I'm your host, Rachel Yucatel. So you guys, this week, I had the pleasure of going to Port St. Lucie and I went to the Mets fantasy camp, which I got to tell you is like the coolest thing for men who, uh, you know, really wanted a career as a baseball player or wanted to meet some famous players and never got a chance to. They spend a week with some of the most, uh, you know, iconic, um, baseball players in the country and, You know, when I got there, they were all in the middle of a game and it felt like being in a big leagues game. It was actually quite enthralling. Um, I sat down with Dwight Gooden, Dr. K himself. This man has won three World Series, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, played in four All-Star games, pitched a no-hitter. And next year, his number, number 16, will be retired by the Mets organization. Growing up in New York, I feel like I've been watching Dwight Gooden my whole life. And pitching is no easy feat. I mean, this guy was an icon. Baseball is a huge part of his story. And man, does he have stories. But hearing about his love for his family, his loss, his struggles with substance abuse makes the legend of Doc feel like a man we can all relate to. We talk about some of our favorites, Gary Carter, Keith Hernandez, Jesse Orozco, Daryl Strawberry, Derek Jeter, a ton more. And he takes us on the mound with him during his unbelievable Yankees no-hitter and what he was thinking that night. And it's not what you imagine. Dwight's struggles have been well-documented, but now he's using his life experiences to help others fight to stay clean and inspire kids. It was truly an honor to chat with him, and I can't wait to be there cheering him on at the ceremony when his number is retired next year. So, you know, I cannot wait for you to uh, write me, DM me, uh, leave a review, let me know what you thought of this episode. You do not have to be a baseball fan to find it interesting at all. He is fascinating. And uh not only that, it's a little bit different. We were sitting in the dugout as we were doing this episode. So you do hear you do hear a little what I will call ambiance in the background um of the game finishing up. But uh I hope you won't be too distracted by that. Really listen to the words that Dwight Gooden um is speaking because he is just he's a he's a guy who's really been through it. And um it's really my honor to bring him to you here and misunderstood. good Gooden, thank you so much for joining me on Misunderstood. It is so good to see you again.
1: It's great to see you as well. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, of course. So here we are. We are at the Mets Fantasy Camp. Can you tell people what that is and what your role is here?
1: Yeah, so the Mets Fantasy Camp is, is fans that's living their dreams. They come down here for two weeks. They get a uniform. They get the home uniform, which is all white, and the road uniform is all gray. Oh, there, we show the same locker with the, with the players as they do with the former players. They play two games a day. At night, we do different things. Like tonight, the coaches go out to eat with the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow night, what they call a casino night. It's a charity event. We play casino, have a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wednesday is called Kangaroo Court. Mm-hmm. That's where guys who maybe go off the bat without the helmet, wrong shoe, late, or do something crazy, right. they get fined $20. And two of the guys, two of, the, two of their former players pretend to be judges. So it's just a fun time. Thursday is cocktail night. You just hang out at the games. Um... But it's great, though. The guys get to come out here to live out their fantasy. They get the jersey they want, the number they want. We get autographs. get to hang out with the guys. We have breakfast in the morning, lunch in the afternoon. I think it's like five grand to come down for a week. So I would say for all the Met fans who enjoy baseball and want to be around the former players and their favorite players, come down and it's a great time and the weather's always great.
0: Right. Absolutely. So it, they are absolutely living their dream if they get to hang out with people like you. Yes,
1: yes, <laughs> Especially part, these Met fans. I enjoy it too. I've been, this is my 10th straight year that I've been down here. Oh, yeah? I enjoy just as much because as a player, you don't get much time to really talk to the fans, yeah. you know, because. You got things to do and get ready for the game. Down here, you can reminisce a little bit, talk about your moments, get to know them. So now it's like a big family. A lot of these guys stay in contact year round. A lot of doctors, police officers. I mean, you got a little bit of everything down
0: here. Right. And are they talking to you about your former like highlights and where they were when you hit something or if you pitched something or yeah. are they oh, all for sure. sharing that with you? Yes.
1: Yeah, so last night at the welcome dinner, Like mm-hmm. last night was the first night, so we had like, a good welcome dinner. We teach them everything, explain everything. So there's one guy telling a story that when he was a kid, I tried to toss him a ball, but somebody jumped in the way to get it. Mm. So I signed the ball last night, and I had to get the mic. And I said, like, hey, remember the ball that you didn't get? Here you go. And I tossed it to him. Oh, so he loved it. And that's the amazing. That was crying, and oh, it was just great. And that's that's awesome. I yeah. yes.
0: So I want to go back, because um, obviously you've had a long history with the Mets. Yes. And I want to go back to your childhood. Okay. I, the first question I have for you is, how did you know you wanted to be a baseball player? Like, did, Was there a backup plan? Did you want to be something else oh. when you were a kid?
1: Great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people if I wasn't playing baseball, I have no idea what I'd be doing. Really? My dad was a baseball, like, he loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just loved it. He knew all the teams line up and growing up in Tampa in the 60s, and we only had, you know, one channel. We only watched Atlanta Braves mm-hmm. from Tampa and uh, we listened to games on the radio. So my dad, he coached Little League Baseball, coached girls softball, mm-hmm. he coached semi-pro baseball. So I would follow him everywhere he goes he could not leave the house without me following him so kind of growing mm-hmm. around baseball when i was small mm-hmm. the guys would roll me the ball as i got older they tossed me the ball so once i got enough to play organized ball i got it played on my dad's team I was coaching a little league team mm-hmm. and he said just sign up and i'll get you on my team so i signed up and got me on his team and i just started playing from there
0: and were you a natural from the beginning
1: uh you know it's funny so my first year i was playing i remember i was waiting to hit go up the bat uh-huh. and I saw my parents in their stands and for some reason I just got jitterbugs or something. I went got do it. nervous? Got very nervous. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean and so I didn't go up the head, I said I didn't want to play anymore. So for my parents to watch me play, they had to watch me from across the street. And then when I would get home they would tell me what I did. Then I felt like it was okay for right. them to watch me play. But um I would say from probably 9 to 12, Uh I just totally dominated. But then we go to the the bigger field with Mm -hmm. the 13, 14, 15-year-olds. Things kind of even out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't know that I had a shot playing Major League Baseball, probably to my junior in high school.
0: Right. Now, how did you get into pitching? Like, was it a position a coach put you in, or did you know that that's where your strong suit lied? How did you decide that that was your position?
1: You know what? Oh, man, you got some great questions. You're on top of it. So (laughs) my dad... He taught me and my, my nephew, Gary Sheffield, who played professional baseball. We lived in the same house. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow my dad knew I was going to be the pitcher and Gary's going to be the hitter. Mm-hmm. So when we used to watch the game to a little, I'm talking like 9, 10 years old, I'm four years old, and Gary, he said, do you guys love the game? I said, yes. He said, every day he comes home from work, we're going to go to the park. I said, all right, no problem. We go to the park. We did all these drills, but it wasn't fun because we couldn't take a glove. You couldn't take a bat. You couldn't take a ball. Mm -hmm. He just teaching us all about mechanics and talked to Gary how to hold a bat. See, so one thing I regret is before my dad passed away, I never asked him where to get his knowledge from, Mm -hmm. but he taught us all that. And so going into playing organized baseball, you just started off pitching, and Gary was starting off hitting, and it just kind of happened. Right. Even though I didn't like pitching that much because the guy would pitch me, like, every chance he get. But I was the type of player, I want to die for the balls. Right. I want to slide. Right. Get my uniform dirty. <laughs> but um, that was my ticket. Right. But I always wanted to be a hitter, but pitching was my ticket.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah. Now, how were you uh, scouted for the first time?
1: First time? Um, so... I got my, my, when I was in high school, I'm telling my age now, we mm-hmm. didn't have freshmen and all that stuff. So it started like 10th grade, sophomore year on. Okay, yeah. And our team was loaded. We had three guys that went on to play professional baseball. So we'll play Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a good hitter in high school. So we had a guy, Floyd Yeomans, who played professional. I got Vance Lovelace, who was a professional. And, um, Albert Everett, who was Carl Everett, who played with the Mets, his bigger brother. Okay. So those guys were the starting pitchers because my sophomore year, hold on, let me back up. My sophomore year, I made the team, mm-hmm. but the coach thought sophomores don't play. You just on the team, you oh, learn, understand. Right. But I felt that I was better than some of the guys in the plan, so I quit the team. Okay. And then the next year, I went back out. He treated me like a sophomore. I had to try out, had to do all the positions. So I played outfield, a little bit of infield, okay. but I wasn't pitching. So I was a little upset, but then he said, you'll be the relief pitcher. So if I got in trouble, I'll come in and pitch a little bit. Uh-huh. And halfway through the season, he almost got kicked off the team for missing practice, and I got into the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. And once I got in, I just totally took over. I just totally dominated. And that's where the scouts were like, start watching me, because they'll come to the game to see the other pitchers. I see. And then they're packing their bags, and they hit a mitt popping. This is what my dad told me. They hit a mitt popping, they're packing, they open it, the suitcase back over. They have the radar gun in and it came back out and so wow. technically I tell kids only for a year and a half so never give up on your
0: dream. Yeah that's obviously happened to you and a good lesson. So okay, how did you first get so the scout came in and said mm-hmm. we want you to play with the minors for the Mets. Oh
1: so they they scout you right mm-hmm. and so they caught watching and give a letter say, oh we want to try you out. They'll come get me out of class. They'll see me throw they'll let me hit mm-hmm. and then they always take me to the mountain throw. And so they say, if we get a chance to sign you, we're going to sign you. I'm like, okay. So I didn't know much about it, and then my high school coach told me that I would probably go between the 10th and the 15th round. Mm-hmm. So I signed a letter of intent to go to the University of Miami. Um, and so the day of the draft, I was down in Tampa with a couple of guys and watching the board. It's not like now where the guys go to MRB Networks or ESPN and run the whole thing. Yep. the Draft. Back then, you go watch it on TV or you go to the um, newspapers stand the yeah. station. I'm sorry, and they have a little screen going across. Uh-huh. So I went there. And I'm thinking 10th to 15th round, and then you see first round. I think Sean Johnson was more with the Cubs. And I forget the other four guys, mm-hmm. three guys. Then the Mets came up, They you see Dwight Gooden, fifth pick. First round. So I had the guy called New York to make sure it was right because I'm like, no way. Based <laughs> on what my coach told me. Yeah. He said, no, they're taking you. And I was like, couldn't believe it. And wow. me and a friend came to the station to see it. My friend had to drive me a bike even though it was my dad's car. Mm-hmm. I was just so excited because you know, we grew up in the inner city.
0: Yeah.
1: At one time me and my dad we shared the same winter coat. you know, sitting by the stove to right. get heat and stuff like that. So my whole goal was that I made it. My mom was like, Yeah, but you got to school, go to school, but I said, mom, I'm going to sign no matter what they get me. So my dad did my first contract. Uh-huh. He negotiated. We signed. And the biggest um, thing for me was get my mom a house and get my dad a car. Right. At that point, I mean, my job was done. But even though i went on to play a long time.
0: Right, right. So you went from the minors to the majors with skipping a couple steps there, right? I mean, yes, that yes. went very quickly. Did you – were you surprised by that? Like, how – what did you feel when they said you were Oh, I was surprised
1: up? because my first year, you know, I've being 17 years old, signing out of high school mm-hmm. – I was a mama's boy. I have uh, five other siblings. Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest by 13 years, so everybody's for me. First time leaving home, I cried every day, uh-huh. calling home every day, and my dad's like, "Stop calling here. You either come home or <laughs> stick it out." And then my mom on the hand. She's like, "Well, your dad don't get home from work at such and such time. Call between these hours." Yeah. So the first shot did okay. It was only two months, but I was homesick. Uh-huh. My first full season was the next year. I was in Lynchburg, Virginia. You know, I started off and 3. It was talking about sitting me down. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with my pitching coach on a couple of things about pitching inside mm-hmm. because I would not pitch inside because in high school I hit a kid in the head and the paramedics came on the field. Oh, wow. So I was afraid to pitch inside. So he told me pitch inside. If a guy hits the ball hard off of you, the next guy, I want you to knock him down, meaning throw it tight while way he goes down. Mm-hmm. If a guy hits a horn off of you, I want you to hit the next guy. So by- well, after starting off and 3, I learned about pitching inside 19-4 mm-hmm. in the, in the, the rest of the season after I one 3. So technically I went 19-1 the rest of the way. I got called to AAA. That's the league right before the majors. Right. And Davey Johnson was the manager. And he said wherever he managed the following year, he's going to take me with him. Got it. Uh, Joyce Bamberg was the big league manager before him. Mm-hmm. He resigned. Davey got the job. And he stuck with his word and brought me to spring training, and I made a team out of spring training as a 19 year old.
0: Wow. So he followed through on his word? Yes. Yeah. What was it like telling your parents you were moving up? Oh, man.
1: That was the best. That's the. I see my dad t- cry twice. Yeah. When his mom passed. Well, how
0: did they How did they literally tell you, and then how did you tell your, your parents? That's okay. my question.
1: So, Davey, you know, you know, it's funny. So, all through spring training, every time I pitched the spring training, mm-hmm. the media would come up and say, oh, we hear you going back down to the minors because of the age. And so I'll run in Dave's office like a little kid. I'll say, "David," <laughs> they said, I'm going back to the minors. He goes, no, don't worry about it. You're going to make the team. Mm-hmm. The last day of spring training, like the 15th, David came and goes, congratulations you're making the team. Called my parents because spring training day was in St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay, yeah. I lived in Tampa, so it was like a 30-minute drive. Mm-hmm. My parents came over, and I told my dad I made the team. He, he didn't have – he couldn't say congratulations nothing. It just it tears come down. Aww. My dad was one of those guys that – he grew up in like the country, like in the Six of Georgia, where men don't cry, men don't hug. Yeah. None of me Stuff like that. But so to see that him cry, That was
0: emotional like, oh, for man. him. Yes.
1: Because so oh. it was his dream come true. Because initially, his dream became my dream right. of playing baseball. Because my brothers, they played a little bit, but they weren't that good. And yeah. then he always wanted to play, so he coached. And then for me to make it that far, it was like, you know, right. it was a definite dream for him.
0: Our friends from Manscaped want to wish everyone a happy holidays. And ladies, if you've been looking for the perfect gift for your special someone, look no further. Santa's helpers have been working hard to bring you Manscaped's brand new performance package 5.0 Ultra for the man in your life. Featuring the new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra Ball Trimmer for the perfect mix of naughty and nice, go to manscaped.com and use code UNDERSTOOD for 20% off plus free shipping. Get like Santa and slay the holidays this year with Manscape. So guys, seriously, I know that it's hard every time you're looking for a gift for a man, whether it's your man, whether it's a man in your family, whether it's a friend. I'm telling you guys, this is the perfect gift. Um, you're you're literally looking at the manscape's performance package 5.0 Ultra. It's the ultimate bundle it includes the lawnmower 5.0 Ultra and the weed whacker 2.0 ear and nose trimmer. They both feature proprietary advanced skin safe technology and are waterproof so he can get ready in the shower, no hair in your drain. It also includes manscapes liquid formulations and two free gifts. Manscaped boxers, 2.0 premium underwear, and the shed 2.0 toiletry bag. If your guy is still wearing his old boxers with holes in them, then Manscaped boxers are the perfect upgrade for you. I'm telling you guys, this is a great gift. And if uh, you're a man and looking for a gift for yourself, you cannot beat this. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code understood at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code understood, gift him Manscaped and unwrap your favorite present this year. Guys, are you missing a little excitement in your life, in your everyday life? It doesn't just have to be in the evenings. You can get lost in a fantasy world with hundreds of sexy stories on Dipsy. Dipsy is an app with hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women and new content is released every week so you'll never get bored. They bring immersive soundscapes and realistic characters right to you. You can discover stories about second chance romances and it Misunderstood, we love a second chance, especially when it comes to love. They also have stories about adventurous vacation flings, fantasy series about vampires, Greek gods. There's so much more to explore. They even have soothing sleep stories and wellness sessions. You really have to try this out. So I had never... Heard of this, but once I found out about Dipsy, I was hooked. Guys, I put on my headphones and I will take it with me to the supermarket. If I'm going on a walk, if I just need some extra excitement in my life, it really keeps you focused. Um, I, I, I honestly think it's the sexiest thing I've heard in a long time. So please check it out for listeners of our show. Dipsy is offering an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to dipsystories.com slash understood, that's 30 days of full access for free. When you go to dipsystories.com slash understood, you spell that D I P S E A com slash understood. Enjoy. Amazing. So, so now great. you head up to New York, yeah. right? You're up in the city. Right. Are you homesick still?
1: Once <laughs> I got to New York, I wasn't homesick, mm. but I was like, because um, I was real shy and laid back. So I was like scared to go to the city for sure. Aww. So I lived in Port Washington, Long Island. And I was only 19. I used in
0: Sands Point. So I San know. Point? Yeah. Oh, nice, yes. <laughs> yeah, right So
1: there. I never, still today, I never took this away. Wow. I never did that. And so I was like. Just live in Port I'll go to the ballpark And come home I'll go to the movie theater Like two blocks away
0: Were you roommates With one of the players Or you lived by yourself By
1: myself Okay Yeah so it's was great um, First time I've been I had my high school girlfriend Come up for a little bit To stay with me oh, nice. I, I didn't know how to cook I yeah. didn't know clean I didn't know
0: nothing Yeah So yeah. she to
1: do all that And taught me some things So it was great But the first year Was very nerve I mm-hmm. about I'll say about two months, mm. then I was felt okay, right. like I
0: Tell the story about the very first night that you pitched. I feel like you have a great story. Oh, um, your parents came, your dad came, right? Yes. And uh, how you walked to the stadium.
1: Oh, yes. Did I get so, that right? Yes, yes. Okay. So, my first big league start was in Houston. Mm-hmm. So, I've never been to the Astrodome before ever. Okay. And the mess was kind enough to fly my parents in. And so, earlier it was a 7 o'clock game. So, we got there, we had lunch about 2 o'clock. The bus wasn't going to leave till 5. Mm. So, I went to the concert. I asked him, how far is Astrodome? He said, like three miles. I said, do "You do have a map? Because you know, back then, there was no cell phones with no GPS or mm-hmm. that. He gave me a map. So I saw the way. I walked to the ballpark. Like, it was about three o'clock. I left to go to the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Once I get to the ballpark, I've never been there, so I don't know how to get in. It's like an eight-foot fence. True story. Eight-foot fence. I clam the fence. <laughs> and as I get on the other side, the security guards come up. Hey, kid, where you going? What are you doing? Right. I said, I'm Dwight, and I'm pitching tonight. So I show them my license. You know, let's say, like, we don't know. So luckily, the trainers was there. But did down. the
0: security guard believe you? Were they no, like, "Yeah, no. right"?
1: They're like, "Yeah, right." So, <laughs> oh my god! So they called. They, you know, on the walk, so they called down to the trainers. I mean, to the locker room. Mm-hmm. Our locker room. Our trainers were there. Yeah. So the trainers had to come get me. The sales cows pitched that night, and my parents were in the So I pitched, but. I've never been so nervous in my life. Right. Pitched my first big league game and had my parents there. Because right. remember, the first time my parents let me play, I wouldn't go back out there. And right. so now i already at my first game.
0: Right. And, and how'd me. you do that night?
1: Did good. Pitched yeah. five innings, got the win, gave up yeah. one run. Right. And it was funny. My dad goes, son, what do you think? I said, this should be good. I should win a lot of games. But my next game in Chicago, I got knocked out of the game in like the second inning. Oh, wow. And then my dad was like, what do you think? I said, now I don't know if I'm ready. So right. I went from I should be fine to now I don't know if I'm ready.
0: Right. Yeah. Did you ever get to the point where you weren't nervous in front of your parents to play?
1: Never. Because yeah. even my whole career, like they would drive up to Atlanta mm. when I lived in Tampa, and I had a lot of fam- uh, family in Atlanta. Mm. They would come there, but it's just something about my parents being there because, like, you want to do well, which yeah. they don't really care. They are just happy you're there. Right. But it was I just always was more nervous. So a lot of times when they say they would come into Atlanta, I was like, uh, I want to see my parents, but I don't want to come to the game. But right. I never told them that.
0: Right. So. I always had a question about your number. How? What was the first day you saw you were going to be number 16?
1: Probably the first year outside because my number was always 10. Okay. Always like number 10 through little league and high school. Mm-hmm. When I got drafted, when I went to Kingsport. I was asking a the guy They have number 10. It was a guy, Russ Oreck. I'll never forget him. He had number 10. He had been in the rookie ball for like four years in a row. He not going anywhere. And he goes, I don't care if you're a bonus baby or not. You're getting my number. Bonus. What they call bonus babies is guys that's drafted in the first round. So normally you get a big bonus. Oh. So they call them bonus babies. Okay. So he's like, I don't care if you're a bonus baby or not. You're getting, not getting my number. <laughs> so I said, the guy, the equipment manager, what number do you have that's close to 16 but not 13? I always thought 13 was bad luck. Oh, so I, I see. have 16. That's why I'll take 16.
0: And so it's your birthday. And my birthday. Yeah. Did that matter to you, or just was the closest number to 10?
1: Just the closest number. But yeah. you know what's weird since you said that? So when I was in spring training the first year of the Mets, right? I was number 64.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: With the Mets, I was 16. And with the Yankees, I was number 11. My birthday is 11, 16, and 64. Oh, but it just wow. kind of happened that way. Yeah. That's weird, right? Oh,
0: my God. That is weird. Yeah. How did you get the nickname Doc?
1: So Doc comes from, I used to tell people basketball, but actually my dad's best friend was a doctor. Mm-hmm. So he did autopsies. And when I was very young, I used to go with him and see the autopsies. I don't know why or why I had the interest, but like today, I would not go in there. No <laughs> way. But when I was young, I would go in there and watch him do it. I mean, mm-hmm. you got body parts hanging yeah. and stuff. So he would always tell my dad, he's going to be a doctor. He's uh, not going to be a baseball player so, for some strange reason, every time I would pitch, it literally, you know, he would always say, Come on, Doc, strike him out, Doc. And when I got to high school, he would say the same thing. Before every game, my dad and his friend would have a cup of drinks, and they'd watch the game. And every time I get two strikes on the battery, he'd be like, Come on, Doc, operate on Doc. You have another patient, Doc, put him yeah. away, Doc. And the writer wrote it. And so, my teammates started calling me Doc. When I got drafted, everybody was calling me Goody. Right. they give everybody nicknames. And so, I didn't really like Goody, so I said, Bike home, they called me Doc. Right. And it just kind of stuck.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Now how did you become Doctor K?
1: So Dr. K, so you know how I got Doc. Mm-hmm. K means strikeouts. Mm-hmm. And after my first year when I broke the strikeout record, they added a K, Doctor K. All the fans they went running around the stairs hanging up these K's. Mm-hmm. So they just the writers actually gave me the K, Doctor K. Right. The K, so, and, and how
0: often did you look at that K corner? Were you um, aware of it?
1: Oh yes, I was aware. Like oh. when I was playing I would not I'll always say, Yeah, I don't know but you know, giving them political correct answer, but right. I definitely take a pick up there. Right. Because in the left field corner, that's where they hung the K's. Mm-hmm. And when you strike somebody out, they pass the ball around the infield. The third baseman is always the last guy to get the ball before he throws it to me. So I always t- take a pick up there, yeah. see the K's. Because Carter, who was my catcher, he always wanted me to get 10 strikeouts. Right. So I would see where I was at, to see what I'm need. Right. So I need. So I'll definitely look at it. So that's, uh, it.
0: that's awesome. Yeah, was, mm-hmm. So who were the most influential guys on the team when you were finally on the Mets? Like who were you closest with? Who meant a lot to your... You because you were so young so these guys must have really taken you in and helped you right
1: yes big time so keith has helped me a lot just about on the road he'll come by make sure i'm okay mm-hmm. make sure i'm not homesick you know and talk to me uh, we had this guy mike torres mm-hmm. older guy uh, he's actually going to be retiring my number next year mm-hmm. so we um, have to come to that i would love that yeah, i you information for
0: i would love that but
1: yes so mike torres told me this my training he goes if you make the team they're probably going to release me so he said, but as long as I'm here, I'm going to help you. Yeah. So he used to tell me about pitching the hitters, how do you look for the hitters' weaknesses, and so on. So I made the team. They kept him on the team. But then, towards the end, they told him once some guys get healthy, you know, release them. So right. when he went pitching, I went pitching. I had to sit by him. Mm-hmm. And he would say, What would you throw here? Why would you throw this here? So he had a big influence on my career. Yeah. Itself, same as um, off the field, too. I had to go out and eat with him. And like back then, the veterans kind of took you down their wings. Yeah. The only problem, they made the young guys pay for the tab, uh- You know, was. <laughs> So, the only thing. Yeah. so I didn't like Teaching that. Teaching you some
0: responsibility, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. cool.
1: I learned a lot from him.
0: Was there anyone that was harsh with you, or difficult, or tough on you?
1: Um, this one guy who actually here. This guy, Ed Lynch, right. So I make the team. Well, first of all, I took his position. Okay. They made me the starter. He went in the bullpen, and when I got to the, I made the team get to New York. And normally, like, like now, guys who make the team, they put you in a hotel for three days and then until you find a place. Okay. Back then, in the 80s, you get to park and you're on your own. Oh. So I asked Daryl Strawberry, I said, Look, I said, kind of sit a couple of days ago. Oh, my family's here. My wife's here. So Ed goes, I'll help you. You can stay with me. I'll, I'll help you find a place. Right. And a true story, he takes me on Queens Boulevard, yeah. and like I think on 108th Street. It's the projects. He takes me there and goes, This place. I said, Eddie, come on. I'm not staying here. He goes, because of your salary? I was say like, no. I like, I'm not getting out of his car. Then you see a guy running out of the building with no shirt on and the TV.
0: Right. Oh, my God. Let's we, we talk
1: about the story. All day. I'm like, I'm not staying here. So I stayed with Eddie for a couple days, and then I found a place in Port Washington. Right. So that's how Perfect. it kind of worked out. Yeah.
0: Okay. But now you have a good relationship with him. Yeah,
1: now we're cool. We, <laughs> yeah. we talk about it, and we laugh about it right. and all that, so it's good. And he's right. a good friend as well.
0: Okay. So talk about what it was like to be Rookie of the Year.
1: Being Rookie of the Year was definitely a dream come true because mm-hmm. – you only got one shot at winning the rookie year. Yeah. You know, and I never like And it was
0: what? your first year.
1: First year, yeah. yes. So when I made the team, I told my dad I just want to play a long time and stay healthy. I never thought about any awards. And I remember the end of the season, mm. the public relations guys, Jay Horace, told me, talk it's between myself and this guy Juan Samuel, who's mm. with the Phillies. Of winning the award So every time I faced one So I was trying to Strike him out Because I knew Me and him have yeah, yeah. And when the season over I still didn't know Because they don't like Giving pictures Of those awards mm-hmm. And when I got the call That you won Work of the year I was like wow I shared that with my parents I was still there With my parents Even though I was In the major leagues yeah. I was like I couldn't believe it But yeah. you know I stayed humble I was happy with it But yeah. I wanted to Keep working hard Because I always feared It was why I'd take it My job
0: Right right Okay, let's talk about 1986. Yeah. That year, obviously, changed a lot of people's lives and yeah. yours, yes. I'm assuming. Um, yes, what was it like to be at Chase St- Stadium with that kind of like electricity? I feel like oh, it's never been like that since, no, in my crazy. opinion. I mean, yeah, I was 11 right. years old. Yeah. I remember my mom waking me up at night right. no. to watch the games, and it was such a big part of my childhood. And right. New York, it was... A different place. It feels like you guys weren't just ball players. You were like celebrities. You know, people loved you. The electricity, the um, excitement, going to a Mets game was something like you can't. I don't know. You can't describe it to people that weren't there.
1: No, you're right. It was crazy because we're connected with the fans. Yeah. They like, do these curtain calls, clapping when you come back out, when you do something great. Yeah. And, you know, being at that time, I was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was just overwhelming. And then to win the Royal Series in New York after coming so close the previous yeah. year in 85, then when it at home, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, running on the field and the fans all crashed down on the field. It was yeah. fun and scary at the same time. Right, But, I mean, it was. I just...
0: always wondered, do you guys ever get hurt when you guys jump on each other like oh.
1: that? Um, you get sore, like, the last couple of days, especially at the bottom of the pile. Right so you get hurt, but yes.
0: are they all like oh help him up I mean is everyone oh, yeah, worried no. about the bottom the guy no, on the bottom' I'm just so okay. excited about, you're just so excited you yeah, are so yeah.
1: excited about going but they say you feel some aches and pains no doubt right. we had fans running out there jumping all out right. celebrating right I mean it was crazy but like I said it changed everything right it was it was a great so that
0: moment when you guys know that you are hit you know you're throwing your final pitch and you guys know you're going to the World Series and you know that's it you guys are excited how did you feel like were you could you believe it Were your parents gonna fly in like just just tell me the state of mind of you guys knowing you're now going to the World Series. Oh,
1: this is the greatest feeling you can have because we're playing the Houston Astros. And mm-hmm. It was a battle because mm-hmm. they had a pitcher, Mike Scott, who was unbelievable that year. Yeah. You know, he won the Cy Young, had over 300 strikeouts, mm-hmm. and we couldn't hit him. He beat me in the first game, won nothing, and then he won another game. So it was game six. We had to win game six because if they were the one, we had to face them in game seven. Oh, uh, right. Okay. So we had to win that game. It ended up going 16 innings, but we just kept battling, and to win that game, I mean, we was on a plane coming back to New York, and we destroyed that plane. <laughs> we was basically, the scene that you saw when we won the World Series, uh-huh. it was like that. Just picture that, but on the plane. Wow. I mean, it was crazy. Guys, <laughs> girlfriend-wise, everybody jump on you. The- right. I don't even know if we realized we was on the plane. Right. I mean, it was just a blast. Oh. We were just celebrating because, like I said, it had been so long. Yeah. And the year before we came so close, we mm-hmm. won 98 games and had to go home. Because right. Because back then, there was no wild card teams. Yeah. We just did two divisions. So right. it's tough. And to win that, and to win it, you know, in 16 innings, yeah, it's a feeling that's kind of hard to describe. Right, now. right. I mean, it's awesome.
0: Now let's talk about Game Six. I mean, obviously there was a lot of stuff leading up to this, but like, yeah. where were you when Game Six happened and that ball went between his legs? Oh
1: man, <laughs> I was in the clubhouse, something that. You did you think it dude. was over?
0: Were I you it was like, over. It? I did. Okay.
1: And you're taught even like a little league that it's not over till the last out, right? But I said it's over. You know, everybody thought it was over Right. because it was, I think it was the three round league going in. We had two outs, nobody on base. Mm. There was like a hit, another hit, a wild pitch, there, right. and then Kevin Mitchell was he was in the clubhouse too. The bat boy had to come in the clubhouse to find him the pinch hit. So he had to in his jersey. Right. Go up there and he got the hit. Yeah. And then we finally tied it and then obviously the monkey the ground ball. Right. Once we won it, I mean, we knew it was gonna win game seven. There there's no way could really? beat us again, yes, because even game seven we were down three runs early, mm. but we knew it was just a matter of time we had them because right. it was no way possible they was gonna bounce back from that.
0: And where were you during that last pitch of game seven?
1: Game seven I was in the in a bullpen um I feel from a selfish standpoint because I didn't pitch that well in the World Series. Mm-hmm. Roscoe was pitching and Jim Rice was on deck waiting to hit him. Mm-hmm. But if Marty Barrett, who made the last out, if he would have got on base, I was going to come in to face Jim Rice. Oh, wow. So I was kind of hoping Barrett yeah. would have got on base. I mean, it's selfish, but because I wanted to redeem myself and face Jim Rice. But right. When Jerry, I mean, on um, Jesse struck him out. I mean, it was the greatest.
0: And did you come running out? Like oh, We all
1: came running out like kids, jumping okay. on each other. Yeah. It was the greatest thing ever.
0: Right. Yeah. Greatest moment, I'm greatest assuming. One. Yes. one of them of one your of, life.
1: Yes, one of them.
0: Yes. Okay, so now let's talk for a second about kind of that night and then what leads up to people seeing that there's a red flag in your oh, yeah. behavior. Yep. Um, so, well, ultimately you don't make the parade. Right. Now, by the way, is the parade the next day? Is next it a couple day. of days later? Next okay, day. it's the next day. Mm-hmm. So... Talk me through what happened that night.
1: So, actually, that, I'll say, after the 85 season and off-season, it was my first experience with drugs, heavy okay. drugs, cocaine. was mm-hmm. my drug of choice. Um, I've always smoked marijuana and drink after games. But during the season of 86, I'll always, like, we'll use a little bit here and there, but never before, the night before the game. Yeah. 86, we win the World Series, we all have, you know, happy... I go inside. I think we were celebrating on the field. I call my parents, tell my dad we want to the series. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they called was to the drug dealer. That's when what should have been the greatest day of my life up until that point turned to be the worst day right. at that time. Because calling him, my, my deal was go pick up drugs and meet everybody at the club. Right. That night, I went to the house to get the drugs. I never made it by the club. I mean, oh, the wow. clock just started spinning. Right. I'm in the house with people I don't know. Right. Um, were high. they
0: celebrating with you? I yeah, mean, they were celebrating. Okay. You know, I'm
1: buying everything for everybody. I'm right. so excited, so happy. I mean, just going. And the drug dealer, obviously, just throwing all that there because, you know, the celebration and plus, yeah. I'm giving all this money. The clock started spinning. I'm thinking, I'll go home in an hour. Okay, I'll leave in an hour. Now the sun's coming up. Right. Now. The parade. you're sitting in the on TV, and that's when it really hit me. Mm-hmm. I am like, oh,
0: my God. So you were I, watching it on yeah, TV?
1: I screwed up. I watched the beginning of it, and I left to go home. I mean, I looked at, like, I can't imagine being up all night. It looks yeah. like a mess. I get home. So
0: you didn't even attempt to make it?
1: No. No. You get home, there's no cell phone, so I had a phone. I must have had 100 messages from my parents, the team, Daryl, everybody's mm-hmm. calling, Um. It was one of the worst feelings that you could possibly have because yeah. now all the denial that I was in, uh, now everybody's gonna know something. Right. The shame, the guilt. Now I just like from exhaustion, pass out, sleep. come out later that day. A couple of players come by the house, I'm knocking on the door, I'm looking through the people. I didn't want to answer. I didn't want to be bothered. My mom them called, asked me what's going on. My mom actually knew, you know, I had a problem from the year before. Yeah. She knew something was up. did. Son. your
0: teammates know you had a problem? I think some of them knew. Mm.
1: Um, I used it with some of them, you mm. know. but everybody thought that it was okay. You know, when you're doing well, yeah. you kind of push on the road.
0: Well, especially back then. I mean, I think that it was really prevalent. Like that's cocaine was like. Everyone did it, and it was yeah. like a party drug. You did it when right. you were happy. It wasn't like people were going and using and doing it because they were sad. You know, right. it was something that was—I don't want to say accepted, but sort of. I mean, a lot of people did time, it at stuff, the time. Yes. Um, and so, um, I, I wanted to ask you if that's the first time though people really saw that there was a problem.
1: Yes, I think so. as far as I would say, the people like like my parents, my family knew because mm-hmm. I was like the youngest. They knew yeah, what was yeah. going on. But obviously, you know, caretaker, so everybody like, you're fine, just drink, you're okay, it's not that bad, you're fine. Because I was, you know, I had my whole family I was taking care of, so it kind of pushed me to work. And I was in denial also, so I went to go to something that was a problem at the time. And, And still at the time, I'm not sure if it had got to the problem at the time. But he was definitely Always on his way. Um, but missing go. the parade, that's so when the team called me in and say Hey, what's going on? I was like, Oh, I had too much to drink, I would flip So some of them kind of like, Oh, possible But then the general manager, Frank Cashin, um, the PR guy, David, kind of knew someone, right? Because it was rumors during the season that a couple of players on the team was doing drugs, which I denied. And I got called into. Uh, the Major League Baseball office that season, and they asked me, they're rumors about the club hanging out and stuff going on, mm. at the night and night denied everything. But now it comes full circle. Um, about did the five, media
0: catch the fact that you weren't at the parade? Did, oh, yeah. They, they didn't. And did they, were there articles written about that?
1: Not really, because I still was like, what, the quote unquote, golden boy. So Got it. Okay. They, oh, Doc oversleeps, no big deal. So a week later, we go to the White House. I make it to the White House, we do that. But then, when I go home, I want to say, I can't remember the date, but I think early January before spring training, I got into this scuffle with the cops, the Tampa police, oh. you know, me and my nephew and some friends would get beat up. I won the lawsuit, but I put on probation. Beat up by cops? Yeah, I got beat up by cops. Yeah. Why? Um, they had been harassing me the whole time, but where I was wrong, they followed us. We had just did a charity softball game. I was leaving Applebee's, and it was me and my friends all played boys, like five us, all these fancy cars. So what I the like was a cop in there, and prior uh, to that, many times they pulled me over and say, "Hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? Whose car is this?" I who the car it was." So they knew I was doing something, but I just never got caught. Like they would pull me over, it. have the dogs, but I would never have nothing on me. So, but they knew because they was following me in different all sure. the time, and the people I was hanging with. So this one particular night, we're going in Sheffield in a Corvette, my nephew. They throw the lights on him. He don't see it. He don't pull over. they throw the lights on me. I pull over. And I was already pissed before the hospital. So the cop goes, where are you going? I said, why would you pull me over? You put the lights on him. So mm-hmm. I started talking back to him. He goes, just do what I say. let me see your lights. I said, you already know who I am. Yeah. But I made a mistake when he said get out of the car. I'm talking about as I get out of the car, on, John, cops jump. are pulling it up in. So it was already premeditated on me. So they're pulling it in. And finally, you know, I'm like, why do you guys keep effing with me? Mm-hmm. So he goes, turn around, you're going to jail. Well, I make the mistake. When he went for the cuffs, I grabbed his hand. I was completely wrong and out of control when I grabbed his hand. Once I grabbed his hand, they all...
0: That sounds like they were waiting for you to screw up.
1: Yeah, they was. And once they cuffed me and put the shackles on me, they said he was hitting me and beating me. And luckily, there was a couple there. white the white cups said, why are you guys doing that? So I played like I was out. They took me about three miles up the road and so they called the paramedics when the paramedics were returned to the hospital they put two black cops there in the paramedics to go with me so it made it seem like this but when we went to court the black cops admitted that they weren't there on the scene oh my that gosh the case, but then obviously with something like that and from me missing the parade the mess right away so something's going on right the next day I get the spring training Hanging out with a couple of guys, we're doing drugs all night, mm-hmm. and they take to it to the park. And I just knew that it felt good, I didn't know how long it stayed in the system or mm-hmm. what it was. So, the man said, Hey, we mm-hmm. want to test you. I said, Test me for what? Let's say drugs, just to make sure everything's good, the clear the air. And I'm like, Oh, you can text me. It knowing, I didn't know, you know, how long it stayed, I didn't know anything about it. So, I took the test, I failed the test. They said,
0: Do some people refuse to take the test?
1: Yes, because I didn't have to. Oh, my
0: I could gosh. have said, No, I'm okay. not taking the
1: test, and then would have happened. Got it. But eventually, it's gonna come out. Eventually. I see. Yeah. So I took the test. They said they come in and say you tested positive. First, I said no, it can't be. It can't be right. Then I finally broke down crying. I said, you know what? You're right. I
0: did. Right.
1: How long have you been doing it? I say, oh, no, you, yeah, I did. So they say you can go to treatment. We'll continue paying you, or we can suspend you without pay. I said, okay, I'll go to treatment. Mm. Scared to death. I mean, you got to remember, I went from rookie of the year, so Young, yeah. All-Star Team, World Series. Yeah,
0: not only scared not, to death about you personally, what you were going to have to go through, but like how people were going to see you now, right? That was right? the whole thing, yes. Yeah. I didn't
1: know how people were going to take me. So, yeah. it's I got to go back to the house. I got to tell my parents, which that was the hardest thing. Awesome. I, cr- I crushed them. I mean, my parents are older, and they, they're like, you know, third-grade education from Georgia, working in Cottonfield. I got to tell them that. And the thing that really crushed me, my mom says, Okay son, now you get to get the help you need. But my dad never said a word. Never said a word. He never talked about it. He just uh-huh. but by him being quiet, I knew I had heard him. I knew I heard him bad. Right. So now I gotta go fly to New York, go to Smithers, um, I go in this van, when I get there. All these kids, all these kids, they belt all the schools I guess see it. they're there clapping, Dog, we love you, so they're uh-huh. I'm crying, I'm walking in there. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I'm like, man, this is like, I'm done. And it's funny because, well, not funny, but the girl who I had just started dating while I was in rehab, I asked her to marry me, but I only asked her to marry me because I was afraid that nobody was going to like me anymore, and it was going to be different, but at least I'll have her. Yeah. And, you know, so.
0: Is that who you ended up marrying?
1: I ended up marrying Oh, my gosh. Him, but then, that's the whole other story that up, too. You know? <laughs> I ended up marrying him, but when I got, well, before I got, while well, I was in there, I still was in denial that I had a problem. Yeah. I just felt like it's no big deal. I have to be able to stop, you know. I can't go my whole life without drinking or doing something. Right. You know, I'm 22, no, yeah, 22 at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, man, I can't go the rest of my life without drinking, not mm-hmm. knowing that all these problems going to come later. Yeah. But um, I'm in there, and they still, like, they bring me food from outside. they doing it on set. They give me the newspaper, so when we had the meetings and learning you know, 12 steps on this stuff I really went into it I was just counting down my days right
0: going through the motions yeah, going
1: through the motions watching the news seeing what the mess are doing Do
0: mm-hmm.
1: my 30 days I get out I start by working out then I figure out that all these people they still love me my first game it was sold out everybody's there pitched well so it's like I didn't miss anything there. right but then the the girl who asked to marry me, she's planning for the wedding. Oh like a temper, <laughs> we're gonna get married in November, and this is uh, May. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, how, now I'm thinking, how can I get out of this? Right. Days are going, and I didn't want to hurt her, you, you know. Right. So I'm like, man, now. Season over, I pitched good. I went 15 games. Let team win. Everything. Everything's back. Um, still drinking. I wasn't using because it was testing, but I was still drinking. Yeah. Um, so now November comes. The girl who I really liked, that was my high school sweetheart, I ran into her the night before I get married, and I can't, oh. I can't even look at her. It was oh. just meant to be. I'm looking at her, and I'm like, man. And I didn't want to marry the girl. I didn't love her. I mean, we only right. dated for like two months, but
0: right
1: was cover-up, so I got married anyway. But it felt like, like me and her have talked about this all the time. She's she's remarried and moved on and all that, and we're, we're good friends now. But, I mean, I heard her bad thing, but we talked about it that we got married. She knew that really one loves but she yeah. didn't know why. And I told her the whole thing.
0: Right. Well, it's not always meant to be like that. Yeah. Incidentally, whatever happened to your high school sweetheart? Did you ever date her again?
1: Yeah, well, I, so we tried, but it was, it was like, it, was, it wasn't the same right. no more because...
0: The time wasn't right the anymore. The time
1: wasn't right anymore. And then this was basically like, maybe... Let me see here. My mom passed four years, maybe like six years ago. I ran into her, was talking, she was going to divorce. I wasn't married, you know, and it was talking and we tried. You know, but it wasn't the same anymore because right. we're trying to live what we had back right. in high school, but we're two different people now. Right, of course. Everything's different and it just, no. Yeah. It didn't work out. Not the same. No.
0: Okay, so... You had an amazing time with the Mets, but then you moved on to the Yankees. So yeah. so after this rehab, you came back to the Mets for a little while. Came yeah? back to the Mets for a little okay. bit. And then how did you end up with the M- Yankees?
1: So what happened, I came back to the Mets after the I was in 87. Mm-hmm. I went seven years.
0: Mm-hmm. Stayed clean
1: the whole time from yep. drugs. Yep. drinking the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, 1994, I pitched opening day in, in uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. I pitched uh, a guy, Tuffy Rose, his three-horns off me. I break my foot. And so now I'm pissed. So when I was rehabbing my foot.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I was
1: going to the monitors. I was hanging out in the school. I was steady drinking. Oh. So I'll go to the, Monty, the rehab, throw, and then right away, I'm like, wow, they're not testing me down here.
0: I see. So you started again.
1: Started again. Started back up. And it was meant to be. I started back up, and now I go to the start, and the guy's there to test me. for them. It was like somebody saw me. I don't know. I said, we're here to test you. So I'll get to the Yankees, right? Yeah. So in 94, I break my foot, and I'm, I'm working out. Notice they're not testing me because I'm rehabbing with the minor league players. Yeah. So I'm going to start by using, man. And then the next time I'm going to throw, the guy from Major Baseball is Drug testing, I'm like, oh shit. And I got nowhere around it. I'm like, well, I haven't done could this you, before.
0: Could you uh, deny doing it? Could you say no this time or no?
1: When they're there, if you don't test, it's like a they'll positive know. test. They'll yeah. know. Yeah, okay. But then I'm thinking, I'm like, well, I haven't done it in two days, you know, three hours, mm-hmm. all this crazy
0: stuff.
1: I say, maybe I'm alright. Maybe I give another shot. Yeah. Maybe. So I'm doing a test positive again. So I say, now we got to give you. 90 days Cause first it's 60 days There's 90 days So they so you're gonna suspend me 90 days No 60 I'm sorry 60 days This is my first one The first one The mess Sent me rehab So it was 60 days Okay but, Wow So they sent me To Betty Ford So I go to Betty Ford. I do my month there, do everything. And I know what I have to do, because this time I go to Betty Ford, I want to learn. Yeah. So I'm learning everything about it, doing the 12 steps, doing everything. So before the season, when I got out So you
0: got some tools while you were there, you think? Yeah, got the tools,
1: definitely. And plus, my wife at the time, who I married, she was pregnant. So I fly home, fly back home, but I had to go to New York first to see the doctors before I go home. Okay. I saw doctors and there's one doctor who don't know nothing about nothing that is, Well why don't you just drink instead of using? Even though I know you're not supposed to do that. But the is I'm thinking my sick toss was like, Yeah, maybe I should just drink and not do nothing mm-hmm. else. On the plane in Tampa the next day, I start drinking on the plane.
0: Right after rehab.
1: Right after rehab. I get home. I didn't go home for three days, right back on the bench again. Right back at that. then Get tested, tested. Probably but at that point, it's like I had given up right. myself.
0: At that point, you knew you had a real. I know I had a real problem. problem. Yes, but and you so, didn't have the wherewithal to say, "I want to stop."
1: No, so I did it. But it was like I kind of wanted to get caught because I didn't have the. I guess my ego would allow me to call them and say, "Hey, look, I really have. I help." So.
0: But but I'm just curious, from someone who's listening to this, your love of the game, or I don't know, the fear that you're. Father would be angry, or that the money would run out because you wouldn't have a job. None of that stuff stopped you from no. doing drugs, which no. I think is an important thing that you said no because people that have an addiction, you know, people that don't have an addiction don't understand, don't understand. how difficult it is to stop. Oh, very,
1: very yeah. much. I mean, you're sick. You're not just, well, I wasn't myself. I was very sick. Yes. I was in Janelle. Yeah. Even after testing positive and going to treatment and knowing myself. They don't have for three days. And like I said, the kids, I had kids, it didn't matter. My wife is pregnant. Yeah. My dad and mom already hurt them one time. Yeah. I got my baseball career. I'm doing something I love. The only thing I know, making a decent amount of money. Yeah. Just built a house. And still, the drug was more important than all of that because of the sickness and my ego wouldn't allow me to ask for help mm. and all I needed was that one doctor to say drink and don't do anything else Yeah, knowing I can't drink him what a
0: drink. shitty doctor yeah because those doctors
1: they got the job but they don't you know, have the experience right. so but I can't blame him
0: no of course not him, I
1: knew better and so I, I go back out and then when I get that letter they said and when I tested positive I could have said because off season I could have said I'm on a cruise, I'm this I'm that but it's like I wanted to get caught because I and said okay just-
0: Done yeah, I know playing. what they I went
1: to the test, knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. So they go, what are you thinking? The amount you had your sister could have to assist I going to die. This and <laughs> that, blah, blah, blah. They're still singing. and say, well, they I was trying to kill myself. Technically I was, but I wasn't. Yeah, I know what so
0: you Kind of
1: hoping that one time i do it.
0: I, just, I mean, it's a selfish thing, but that's where I was. Yeah. So then I get a
1: letter from Buzz Seelik I'll read a letter and it said you're suspended for the entire 95 season wow and I'm looking at the letter I'm reading the letter and I keep reading the letter and I put it down walk around I go read the letter and I'm like something I gotta miss but that, that hit hard Yeah. and again instead of I okay, I got to go back and get help. And they tried to say, go back I said, no, I'll be fine. The next two months, I went hard. hard and hard and hard. Missing my kids' birthdays. I mean, I just hit rock bottom. I yeah. mean, hard. Very hard. And I still was like in denial because I'm still like, who can I call? I want to go to Japan and play. Right. Because somebody told me you can still go to Japan and play. Right. And this guy, Raynor who who's a good friend of mine now, he works for the Yankees, mm-hmm. he said, um, I'll get you to Japan, but I got this guy I want you to meet. Mm -hmm. and this guy's name was Ron Dock he was um, I don't know how many years at the time but he became my sponsor said we're going to go to a meeting every day we're going to work out then we're going to eat together then you spend time with your family so
0: finally found someone who was Uh, not uh, enabling
1: right wasn't enabling it it was caring every day they come by in the morning pick me up we go work out Mm-hmm. come home, I shower, we go eat, we go to a meeting, mm-hmm. That's a the routine, then I started liking myself again, mm-hmm. my kids started forgiving, myself. I started picking my kids up from school, spending time with my wife, spending time with my parents, So I started getting back on track, and then I told the guy, I said, you know what, I don't want to go to Japan, I want to take this time and get my life back together, I don't care about baseball, I got to get my life back now, because I understand I hurt all these people, but I want to do it for myself.
0: So what would you do that year to get your life back together?
1: Going to meetings every day.
0: Oh, that was that was what you did, no, just being active yes. in it's the program. Active, yes. So you didn't go yeah, back I, to rehab. I home
1: group. No, I didn't go back to rehab. Okay. I just found a good home group. And, and, it, made, worked and it
0: worked that year. It worked
1: because these guys was old school. They knew, call you yeah. out, yeah. go read what you're doing. They had, you know, certain nights we go to dance, we go skating. So I felt like, okay, now. You had I a mean, purpose. Had a yes. Yeah. I started understanding it. So I got on track to doing that, and then the scouts started coming watching me throw. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then Sheffield, my nephew was with the Marlins. He said, I'll get you a trial with the Marlins. But uh, still, I was out the 95 season. But in the 95, my suspension was up. So I went down to Miami. I threw. And they said, okay, we'll sign. They offered me a two year deal, but I couldn't officially sign, but we shook hands. Mm-hmm. And then they said, I told him I said, I'm going to go to Puerto Rico, throw in a little bit because I did not thrown. They said, okay. Ray had been with the Yankees working for them for a long time. Mm-hmm. So he told me, he goes, I got good news and bad news. I said, okay, what's the bad news? He goes to Marlins. They say, you got to go to Puerto Rico first, and then they'll decide where they want to guarantee a contract. He said, or you can sign with the Yankees. They'll guarantee your contract right now. Mm-hmm. And plus, I want to go back to New York anyway. I love yeah. New York. I want to make it right with the fans. So I took the deal with the Yankees. The next day, Gary calls me. and goes, man, what are, you, what are you doing? I thought we had a deal. He said, yeah, but the, you know, Dombrowski, who was the general manager, said mm-hmm. I had to go to Puerto Rico first. He never said that. So Ray never talked to the on so he made the whole thing up oh, wow! to get me back to the Yankees. I mean, it worked out <laughs> Made whole thing up. I'm like, man, you made me look bad. But
0: how did how did the fans react when they found out you were coming back to New York?
1: I think it was mixed. I think the Yankees fans was happy I'm coming, but mm-hmm. the Mets fans had mixed emotions. Mm-hmm. Did until, they see
0: you as a traitor? I'm curious.
1: No, because I, I made it sure when I did my press conference, mm-hmm. I told them that I would, I love what the Yankees are doing, Mr. Steinberg. I thank you for giving me opportunity mm-hmm. to play. But I said, Mets fans, I'm sorry the way it ended. But I wanted to come back, but unfortunately, I did want to cut ties, which I understand. Yeah. You know, move on. And so I went to the Yankees. But the thing that you bring up with that question, just to fast for a little bit. Yeah. So I played with the Yankees for two years, 96, mm-hmm. 97. Mm-hmm. And then I called the Mets. After that, I said, hey, I'd like to come back to the Mets. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes, unfortunately, we got no room. You know, we wish you the best. So I signed with Cleveland, 98, mm-hmm. 99. After 99, which I was, what? I wasn't. Pitch I was before but I was pretty good Yeah. I called him again, he said unfortunately doc we wish you the best, we got nothing there so then in 2000 I signed with Houston pitched one game, got traded to Tampa pitched eight games, got released called the Mets again, I said I'll go to the minors I'll do whatever, mm-hmm. I just want to come back to the Mets because I still want to make it right with the fans yeah. I said no unfortunately can't do it so Mr. Steinbrenner called me but I want to still play, I was living in Tampa at the time mm-hmm. so yes. he said come work out with us, if it don't work out you come work for me, mm-hmm. went with the Yankees threw a little bit Worked out that I actually got the pitching against the Mets. I beat them. Mm-hmm. I beat the Mets in a row series and I was going to retire. I called the Mets again say said, Can I sign a one day contract so I can retire as a Mets? They said no. Oh,
0: wow. That
1: really hurt it. I understood. But it goes full circle because now Nate should have go retire my number.
0: Right. So exactly. Full so we're going to get to that in, in yeah. a minute. But um, I do want to talk to you um, about your no hitter. Yes. So I think as people that are not you know, into baseball like you guys, we don't understand the mindset. Like, we don't understand what's going on. The only time we kind of got an inside scoop on that was when Kevin Costner played, you know, the, the baseball player in yeah. For Love of the game yes. or whatever.
1: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, he basically stole that from a movie, that whole thing.
0: Uh-huh. But,
1: the, oh, my movie's coming out. Make sure they're they going the shoot now with oh. Ben Stiller and Charlie Baby Productions. Oh, my gosh. It's a life story on my, my whole thing from childhood to the no-hitter.
0: Oh, my God. Until yeah. the no-hitter. Who's yeah. playing you?
1: They had decided, but I gotta, I'm going to show you this guy. I okay. I don't remember his name. Okay. I'm show you the picture. Who
0: did you always want to play you?
1: Denzel. You Obviously. Know, only <laughs> because and when I pitched the no-hitter, we met with Warner Brothers. They bought the rights to the mm-hmm. movie.
0: And he's too old yeah, at this old. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I met yeah.
1: with Denzel. This was in 97. Mm-hmm. I met with him, and we had it all set. But then I guess you are no better me than that. For the production with movies and stuff—they yeah. had did um, the writing. They sent them, um what you call it, the ghostwriter, whatever. Yeah, ghost I showed them where I grew up, showed them my high school in Lilyfield. Mm-hmm. They gave me a check. Then two months later, they disappeared. I never heard from. Oh thing. wow! Yeah. So, oh my goodness! Yeah. All
0: right, but it's happening now.
1: Now it's happening. Okay. Now it's, yeah, it's real now. So.
0: All right. So to go back to your no-hitter, what, what are you thinking? How do you compartmentalize all the noises, all the oh, things? Man. Like mentally, first tell me what it's like.
1: That was crazy because that year I started off in 3
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, then, and they basically benched me. So when a pitcher gets benched, that means you're not getting in a game if you're up 10 or down 10. Right. They was trying to decide whether to send me to the minors or release me. Okay. So I would go to the park every day, just sit there, nothing's going on. And unfortunately, David Cohn got an aneurysm in his shoulder. Oh. And so they had to take him on a rotation and Mr. Mm-hmm. Simper is the only guy said put good in back into the rotation. Uh-huh. Let him pitch. Joe Torrey, the manager, he didn't want to put me back in, but um Steinberg said, put good in back in or I'm gonna fire you. Mm-hmm. Put me back in the rotation. The third start in, the first three games back in was so so, mm-hmm. And then the day that I was gonna pitch the no hitter, my dad was having open heart surgery right. the following day. So I had a ticket to go home to be with him. Mm-hmm. But that day I woke up, you know, I said, you know, he'll probably want me to pitch because mm-hmm. all I could think about is all the days that he was training me and Gary. Yeah. I said, he'll probably want me to pitch. So I called Joe Torrey, said, I'm going to pitch. I'm coming in tonight to pitch. He goes, No, I'll be with your dad. I said, No, I'll see you guys tonight. Right. Then I called my mom. I said, Mom, I'm not coming home. She goes, No, you have to come home. Your dad needs your support. Everybody's going to be here. We're waiting on you. I don't want to hear it. And so I ended up hanging the phone up on my mom because I was feeling guilty. Yeah. But that's something you don't do. You don't hang up on your mom. Yeah. I had to. So. The whole day before I got to the park, it was like this dark cloud. I'm going to make the right decision. I'm going to right. see my dad again because he had been on Dallas for like 15 years. So I get to the park. Um, Mel Sotomayor came up to me and goes, how do you feel? Because Mel Sotomayor was my pitching coach with the Mets yeah. and now with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm fine. The first three of that game, I was standing in the walkway between the clubhouse and the dugout. So I'm trying to figure out whether I made the right decision or not. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know i going to see my dad. Is he going to be okay? What's going on? Not into the sixth inning, I'll look at the scoreboard to see who was going to come up to hit. Mm-hmm. And you see no runs, no hits, no errors. And I'm like, wow. I and then you're anyway. like,
0: there's something there's to that. something this.
1: there, yeah. So I was able to put my dad's situation aside.
0: Were they watching?
1: Yes. From the, the hospital. hospital. Was watching from the hospital. Okay. The doctor took me was watching. So in a pitcher, no hitter. Obviously, I didn't sleep that night. And it's a photo where they carried him off the field. All I could think about was, my dad going to be okay. Oh. Pitcher, no hitter. You know, a month ago, I wasn't even pitching.
0: But right.
1: Last year, I was sitting at home. Not knowing about him to play again. Right. About never, you know, right. Get healthy.
0: He yeah. must have been on top yeah, of the exactly. world.
1: Oh, man. The greatest. I was one of the greatest fielder in baseball. Yeah. I get to the hospital the next day. I take him up off in the game. He had the surgery. Yeah. His own um, life support. But the doctor said he did see the game. He was crying. You know, he passed away. He never came after that. But the last game he saw me pitch was a no hitter.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I didn't know that story. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That that was the last thing he saw. The last of thing he you. saw, yeah. Um, so but what is it like physically? Were you exhausted?
1: Oh mentally and physically. Yeah. I was like done because everything that was going on prior to that um, was
0: exhausting already. Yes yeah.
1: already and yeah. then you know, Seattle at that time they had the best team in baseball for mm-hmm. its hitting, you know, like Kate Griffey Jr., Alex Rodriguez, Edgar Martinez, Jay Brunner, Paul Sorrent. I mean they line up with that. Yeah. So the pitching and against that team and everything right. that I have been through and now what my dad's going through. Right. And just so much stuff going on.
0: Right. Amazing. Okay. Um can you recall a particularly tough opponent or game
1: okay, in your the, career? for his, I guess um, I'm trying to think. The toughest hitter was Chili Davis by far. Okay. He was when he was with the Sam School Giants. and was with the Mets. I could not get this guy out. I <laughs> tried to intimidate him. I threw balls over his head, uh-huh. balls on his chin. Could not get him out. And then he went to the Yankees and also mm-hmm. Cleveland. Same thing. Could not get him out. One of the toughest guys. And for his game, I would probably say, um... Most emotional game, I would say, when I was with the Yankees pitching against the Mets mm. at Shea Stadium. Oh, yeah. Because and that, how
0: did the fans treat you that night? That was pretty good. Yeah? You
1: know, because the thing was, um, when when I got released by Tampa, I mm. well, traveled the Yankees, and then they called me in office the next morning. Mm. And they said, um, we need to pitch in New York. Mm. It was a day-night double hitter. The day game was at Shea Stadium. The night game was at Yankee Stadium. Mm. They say, Joy said, Joyce well, said, I want you to pitch the day game against the Mets and stick it up the, you know, you know what? Right. So, I, all I wanted was to go back to Shea Stadium one more time. But yeah. I couldn't say I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. So, I went there. I warmed up before the game, and nothing's working. <laughs> but for some reason, when I got in the game, being at Shea Stadium, it was like I was back at home. Again. Right. I was accustomed to the mound, fans, and everything just clicked. And I beat the mess right there at Shea. So, that was, like, probably the toughest game for me to go through emotionally. Right, emotionally. And coming from the business dugout, wearing a Yankee uniform. right. You
0: know, right. Um, obviously, we're winning World Series for both teams is an amazing accomplishment. What was the difference between the two? And incidentally, did you make it to the parade yes. for the Yankees? I,
1: Ninety-six. just I made those two. Okay. But, you know, what's funny. The night before, I stayed in the city to make sure. Okay. Yeah.
0: And were you good?
1: Yes. Okay. I was good. Yes. Everything was good because okay. I made sure. Because one the I was like, man, I'm not missing this one. Because right. you don't think you are getting an opportunity. Yeah. Even though one of the that kept me kind of... I guess a little depressed or guilty with missing that first one because you can't do it over. Yeah. But with the Yankees, I was like, in 96, I'm like, I'm not missing this one. I'm staying in the city. Right. I'm going to get a hotel right close by where you're going to be. Right. So I made it.
0: Did you have the same relationships with the guys on the Yankees that you did with the Mets? Because it seemed like you were so close to those guys now, on the Mets.
1: Um, it was different because the guys at the Mets was young. A lot of us came up together from the yeah. minors. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees was more like an all-star team. Like, right. Besides, like, they had Jeter, Posada. Bernie and um, there's one more guy missing. Andy Pettit. Mm-hmm. Those guys came to the system, but everybody else came from different teams. Right. And it was veterans. I mean, good guys, but yeah. different. When it Mets, all of us came up together, right. mostly besides so you Carter. It was like family. It was like family. Yeah. And the year before, we came so close and lost out, and so it was just different. Right. They all were special, though, in a different way. Of course, of yeah. course.
0: Um, after you retired, you went through some very public struggles still with addiction yes. again. Yes. Um, I guess my first question with that is, I I know a lot of retired athletes, and I think it's a common phenomenon that they struggle with what to do when they retire. Mm-hmm. A lot of them become alcoholics. A lot of them take a deep dive into something, whatever yes. it is, mm-hmm. um, because they can't find their purpose anymore. They're so used to being put on a pedestal. Um, they're so used to you know having one purpose to do all the time, and then they right. don't know that they're good at anything else. Right. What? Um, so my question would be, what happened to you? But also, mm-hmm. like. Talk me through what you would say to people that are retiring every year, how they can, you know, move forward with their life and not struggle or not think that that was like the best years of their life and they'll never amount to anything again.
1: But you're, you're definitely right on because the adrenaline rush you get, well, the adrenaline rush that I got as an athlete playing in New York, playing with both teams, mm-hmm. being at the top, all this stuff going on, and then all of a sudden – it's over. Yeah. And trying to find that adrenaline to match it.
0: And then you're a soccer dad and or something. Dad, yes,
1: 100%. <laughs> you, can't, you can't match that. So right. you got to find something. But I would say to athletes now and young guys, if you're playing sports at any level, especially major level, whatever you want to do when you retire, start doing it now during the off season, so you mm-hmm. get a fill of it. So when your career over, whether it's an injury, whether you get released, or whether you retire, you've got something to go into. Because yeah. as you say, a lot of us have been playing from Little League. You know, seven, eight years old, all the yeah. way to thirty-five or whatever. That's why, like you just said, the suicide rates up, the divorce rates up, right. you know, jail, prisons, death—all mm-hmm. this stuff is up. Um, my thing was, when I retired, I think I retired too soon. I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thirty-five. I still felt like I had time to go. I was with the Yankees in spring training, and Joyce told me I had hurt my knee, mm-hmm. and they said it's going to take about three months to get it right. Then you got to go to the minors for two months. Then the season's over. Or right, Joyce said, oh, you can cover work for me." So I said, wow. First thing hit me because I wasn't going to meetings no more and all that. I'm mm-hmm. still drinking. Mm-hmm. I said, wow, no more. First thing hit, and I'm, not, I'm just being honest, it was, wow, no more drug testing. Right. Not thinking about, let me sleep on it one so night. So
0: still in your bones I'm kind still of. still there. Like, yeah. There
1: because I had, because I thought I was like, quote, unquote, healthy now. I'm mm-hmm. healed. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Now I'm different. So, you thought
0: on. you could try it a couple times and it wouldn't affect you?
1: Yeah, or and then as soon as I said, I'll start thinking, wow, even though I had some time, mm-hmm. it still hit me. No more drug testing. So, I said, okay, I'll come work for you, George. And then that's when I called a mess to put them retirement tell me and said, no. Mm-hmm. That night, I went out with my family, went to dinner, talked about it. I didn't even tell them what was going on. Mm-hmm. But I was already premeditated what I was going to do. Right. I retired, but then the next two spring trainings, were both to March, I got arrested both times because. Mentally, while I was in got back kidney program,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I still was missing the game, and I hadn't filled in that void. Mm-hmm. So spring training, I'm like, oh, man, no I should be playing or doing something. I'm not playing, so I started drinking more, partying more. Yeah. I got arrested. A year later, same thing in March, spring training. Yeah. So it was... Attached right there. Wow. Yeah. So I would just say to guys like you say, find something you want to do when you retire before right. it's over.
0: I think that's such good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So there was a certain part of your life years later that you ended up in celebrity rehab. Yes. <laughs> how did we get to that point?
1: I still don't know how that happened. <laughs> you know. So well,
0: did you do it for the paycheck I, or you were really um, like I, ha- I, struggling? I, I, I
1: needed it, but what was weird was. I was going to a divorce and I'm not justifying anything. I'm going to a divorce with my second wife now. Mm. <laughs> First marriage, I screwed that all. I messed that all up. I threw that away. Second wife I went for all their own reasons, mm. who had two kids and then got a divorce. Well we're going through a divorce. And I hadn't seen my kids in like six months. I talked to them in six months. Okay. At that time my daughter was one, my son was four. So I found myself,
0: uh, I leave the house because she said I threatened to kill her and I family, all this mess. And you weren't talking to your kids because you were so immersed in other things? No, or?
1: those two. She wouldn't allow me. Because oh, she moved back to Maryland. Got it. Okay. I was talking to my older kids. But then, so I was in a hotel. Once I got a hotel, going there by myself. they you know, I'm bike on it. Doing it again. Mm. Over again. Look, I needed help. Um, so I ran into Lenny Dykstra. It's mm-hmm. funny. I ran into Lenny at the hotel mm-hmm. and with a friend, and um, we were talking. He goes, hey, man, I hear you going to cyber rehab. I said, "Cyber rehab, what is that? <laughs> and then they had on the bike on a post. It was me, Michael Lohan, mm-hmm. um, what's the girl? And from Amy near, Fisher. Amy Fisher. Yeah. The guys on a post. And I hadn't talked to nobody. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. But my agent, one of my agents at the time, I guess he talked to Dr. Drew or somebody yeah. represent him about me coming there. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Doc, what about cyber rehab? No, because the thing, my thing was, I knew I had a problem, but I didn't think nobody else knew.
0: Right. Okay. He thought
1: this would be a good way to go in there and, and remove that mask. Right. I'm like, man, I can't go in there. I got kids. I don't want to embarrass me. He said, right. doc, trust me, your family, everybody that's around you, everybody, we know what you're doing. Right. You go to a hotel. We don't hear from you for three days. You look up a mask. Go in there. You know, I said, Why well, I got to go on TV. He goes, well. I don't know. And then uh, Bob Forrest, I don't know if you remember Bob.
0: Of course, Forrest. I remember. He Bob. called
1: me. I love Bob. We still I talk. love Bob. We still talk. And um, he said, Doc, this would be great. You don't have to go on TV if you don't want to. We could just do some work outside. I think wow. it would be great. He said, But if you're going, we'll get a check whatever." I said, they about to check. I'm good with that. He said, But it's up to you, whatever you want to do. He said, Well, what about if I fly you out here and we talk? Yeah. So I said, All right. I said, From my we talked, I said, All right, you know, I need a treatment. What about you? He goes, Man, since you're here, just try it. Just try it. He said, You know, I'm on there and it was cool because.
0: Did you think it was, was real? Because so many people talk about how reality TV is fake. In my opinion, listen, I was there for love addiction. It wasn't yeah. something drug related, yeah. but I thought it was real. It's I thought real. it was a great program for it's people real. that really I need it.
1: it. Real. For me, it was real because it helped me in two ways. Number one, I got a lot of work done with Bob behind Yeah. Um, the TV wasn't on. Yeah. But for me to go on there and, like I said, remove that mask. Mm-hmm. Here I
0: am.
1: Yes, I have a problem. Yes, this is what I did. Yes, this is what I'm doing. Mm. This is what I did. This is why Mr. Parade. This is why I was. So that right, so the release. All that it
0: was like. Oh. It was the first time you admitted it, first time and I admitted to people, yeah, that 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 it said. mattered too.
1: Yes, and I having somebody to tell my story, so it felt like I mean, like the road that off my shoulders. Yeah, came clean everything.
0: Right. And, well, I I. I I don't want to say I loved being on that show but I I thought it was great, it was helpful and for me, listen, they wanted me to be on the show because of the scandal I was in and because of the notoriety I had at the moment but in reality, I I didn't deal with that when I was on it, I dealt with Um, losing my fiancé on September 11th, and Mm -hmm. I dealt with losing my father when I was 15. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but my father um, died of a cocaine overdose when Mm -hmm. he was 44. And I had to spend years trying to thank you, trying to, you know, as a young kid, watch it where he thought no one knew, right? And then you know, be part of, um, you know, interventions and hoping that I wasn't going to be someone that grew up without a dad. And I remember when I first saw you on the show, I remember thinking it was so great that you were on there because I came from a position of knowing from the child, from right? The child, of right, knowing yes. how awful of a loss it would be if something had happened to you. And, oh, you know, so that's why I appreciated meeting you at the very beginning because I obviously I knew you from New York and right. your history right. um, as a baseball player and watching you as a kid. But for me, it was more special mm-hmm. being able to meet you because I I knew you know, in the back of my head, you were getting the help, and how devastated your child would be if yes. you weren't here. So that was my connection with you I originally. Say,
1: yeah. <laughs> and thanks for sharing it right now because, like that, I need to hear because a lot of times I talk to my kids. I know I hurt them. I hurt them bad. Mm-hmm. But just but they never would tell me yeah. how they really felt. But right. I always tell them all the times. I screwed up. I know i done some bad things. I miss your parties. I miss this. Mm-hmm. I did this. I divorced your mom for the wrong reasons, all this stuff. But we had the family intervention and stuff. I, yeah. like, I just need you guys to tell me how you feel. they'll just cry. Right. And so I knew I crushed them, and I wanted to hear from them how I did it. Because I need to feel that. Right. I need to feel it. But I, I just knew, but they would never say it. But to hear you just tell me now yeah. from the kid's side. You know.
0: And it is so hard yeah, right. when you're a child because you don't know how to verbalize that because you're right. scared. Yeah. You don't want to say something to to make your parent mad, yeah. but also you're angry. You know, there's so yeah, many emotions. Yeah. Um, but losing the parent is yeah. worse because yeah. then you haven't said what you wanted to say. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So even though they may not have had the words to say it. They at least still have you, and they can be pains in the asses and mean to you or whatever it is now. But I think it's because they know that you're here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they appreciate you're here. And it's so hard to verbalize any of that while someone's around. It's yeah, it's good. sometimes easier to make sense of it after they're gone. And luckily for them and for you, you didn't have to I have go to through that. But I was, yeah. So no,
1: I, don't wanna, I always tell myself I do not want to be dead. And my right. kids are like, hey, got to live with that. How did your dad die? Because they right. forget about all the great things you did, they just remember that last thing. Right. And I, said, I get it, but then I also said I have to do it for myself. If I do it for myself, then it's doing it for everybody else. Yeah. I had to get to that point because. And
0: I know that you said you didn't think you would make it to fifty. No. Like well, you, you thought. That? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I didn't. I thought there's no way because.
0: Yeah.
1: There's so much going on, and I'm like, I've done so much damage. Yeah. Every time I like, if I get a cold or I don't feel good. Right. I don't want to take no physical because I'm taking my kidneys, my liver, right? Something, but everything's been fine, and so now I feel like. I'm still here. I'm sure people lost their life to a lot less than I've done. Yeah. So I think it's keeping me around because baseball was my dream. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, because baseball was my dream. Mm-hmm. Now I'm living a dream for others just to share my message. That's all. Yeah. Just to be accountable. Just to show up and just to share my story. And right. I'm not ashamed of it anymore because I don't live that life anymore. Right. So it's easier now to talk about it.
0: Right, exactly. You know? So obviously you've gone through a lot of ups and downs, and but clearly you've been noticed and people want to remember you. They are retiring your number yeah. um, next year. How? Where were you when you got that call?
1: I was at home and it was funny because... Steve Cohen, when he called me, like, mm-hmm. I've talked to him maybe twice. At the Old Timers game, and they once at a celebrity, I mean, um, a charity event. Mm-hmm. But I never talked to him on the phone. So when he called, he goes, hey, about to speak to Dwight Gooden. I said, speaking. He goes, this is Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets. I said, hey, Steve, how you doing? He goes, are you sitting down? I said, yes. Then I said, who the F is this? Because I'm thinking,
0: <laughs> I'm like, this is a call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: he said, this is Steve Cohen. And I'm like, I, I intentionally hung the phone up. But I called that number back and it was a mess, you know, the office. Oh so I'm like, oh man, so I had to apologize to him.
0: You and, hung up on him and yes, called him back? I
1: thought it was a prank, so I called him back, right. you know, that number. So oh, I'm that's like, great. oh man, so I apologized to him. And he said, yeah, we're going to retire. Did he laugh? Numbers. Yeah, he <laughs> laughed a bit. But I still think he was like, great, hey, this guy like cursing at me. So <laughs> he said, we're going to retire your number next year. Well deserved. We don't know the date yet, which they told me the date now. Mm-hmm. So I look at that as like a celebration yeah. for myself, my family, my Fans, mm-hmm. friends, everyone who's been with me from day one mm-hmm. as a fan, everyone who's been with me to help me still be to this point. Because right. without so many people in my corner, it don't happen right. as a career. And then my first wife was married 17 years. Mm-hmm. For her, basically being a you know, mother and a dad, because when I was playing ball, mm-hmm. even when I was healthy, I missed a lot of school activities because I'm in New York and Florida to do all that so so many people made it possible for me to play the part right. so I look at it as a celebration
0: right absolutely um, and how special is it that Daryl's number is getting retired the same year have you guys I, talked about it
1: yeah we talked about it yeah. we had a great talk about it we laughed about it because we basically have the same life we got the same middle names you know we've been to the same rehabs. yeah Same institutions, (laughs) jails, prisons, all this stuff, the same. And now for us to happen the same year. Right. But neither one of us thought we would be here. Right. Though He's doing great with his ministry now. Mm -hmm. Everything's going well. And uh, I'm just more proud of him than I am myself, basically, because with me, I look at it, I'm glad for myself, but I look at it for
0: everybody. Right. Big celebration.
1: But I'm very, very proud of him.
0: You've... um you know, been given uh, or you've had a lot of accomplishments in your life. Yes. Where does this fall in that lineup, having your number retired?
1: This number one, because well, i will tell you, I was trying to get back to the Mets to retire as a met, but to have your number retired, that's like the highest honor a team can give you. Uh-huh. Now I think I can close the book on my career because there's always like, you always want to have that one day where you can go back out there and tell the fans, you're sorry. Yeah. Tell them, you know, this is how I feel. You guys are part of this. Yeah. And now I get to have that day. Um, Earlier this year, in September, I got inducted into the Negro League Museum Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. Which was like, well, that was amazing. Yeah. I mean, they hit a history and they walked through the museum with my kids and grandkids. Oh. It's amazing. And now yeah. they have them all there at the stadium when they hang my number up there with mm-hmm. a lot of grace. I mean, that's like, I can't really find the words, but I'm sure, hopefully, I get through it. I'll get emotional. Yeah. I'm there, but even if I get emotional, who cares? Yeah, who cares? Um, I yeah. think
0: everyone else will be pretty emotional too watching yeah. you. So. So I look
1: at a celebration for everything I've been through on and off the field. To have that day, you know, it's just gonna be amazing.
0: Right. Um, you've talked about a lot of happy days and sad days in your career. Can you um, pick out one that was your happiest?
1: My happiest day? Mm-hmm. Oh wow, the happiest day I ever had. Probably um, besides today. I mean, each day <laughs> I wake up, I'm like, I'm just—it's just a joy to be here. But I would probably oh, say, oh, that's
0: every, amazing. Happiest that
1: that. day? I would probably say, wow put me on the spot right there sorry (laughs) so many days I would probably wow if I had to pick just one Mm -hmm. I would probably say my granddaughter by she's four now Mm -hmm. because she was born premature she was born two months premature and then watching her in the the incubator or whatever I thought Mm -hmm. there was no way she was going to make up all the tubes and stuff in her and my daughter was calm, but every day I would go in there, I would just cry. And I'm like, Aww. man, you know, and for her to make it now. And then when she comes, she was here yesterday, yeah. hug me, and, oh, Papa, I love you, and Aww. like that. So I think seeing her come home the day that she came home.
0: That's amazing. That's okay, good answer. What do you think made you such a good player?
1: I think the hard work I put in, like I tell Pitt, a lot of players, like when you don't have a game, and you don't have practice, what are you doing to make yourself better? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, all I want to do is baseball. Mm-hmm. I think I love the game. I studied the game. I worked hard. And even when I was younger, my dad taught me that no matter what, don't let nobody outwork you. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing I try to tell young kids. So I think the work ethic I put in, even when I was the Mets, I mean, well, when the Yankees had benched me, I still was working hard. I still believe in myself. So I would yeah. say probably confidence in my work ethic.
0: Okay. Okay. Um- what person did you play with that you thought had the most natural talent? Daryl. Daryl. Strawberry, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I always tell people, Strawberry probably had more talent than anybody would play with. Mm-hmm. I would say Jeter was probably more consistent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: because used to be, But Daryl, when he wanted to play, it was nobody better.
0: Right. Um, okay, who's the next star that we should be watching?
1: In baseball? hmm The next star, Ronald Cooner. Who's that? Oh, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> it's okay. He's in the
1: Atlanta Braves. Even okay. though I should have picked a at Yankee, but no, no.
0: This guy, I want to hear who you like. This
1: guy's amazing. I okay. mean, this year, this past year, he hit I think 30 or 40 home runs okay. with like 70 stolen bases. Mm-hmm. I mean, unbelievable. He can run. He can throw. He can do it all. Okay, so, so we Ron, should watch him. Yes.
0: People that watch baseball probably all know who he is oh, yes. besides me. Yes. Okay. Um, let's see. All right, I'm going to go through a couple players okay. and just give me the first. Word that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. Tim Tuffle.
1: Gritty, tough, gamer. Gary Carter. Carter, t- toughest guy. I mean, did you say it one word or?
0: You can say a sentence. Okay. Oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> Carter probably was a better guy than a player if that's possible. Wow.
0: I always loved Gary. Yes. Keith Hernandez.
1: Keith Hernandez, the ultimate warrior.
0: Daryl Strawberry.
1: Most talented guy i ever seen.
0: Davey Johnson.
1: Best manager I ever played for.
0: Mookie Wilson.
1: The nicest guy, but he was a quiet assassin as well. Mm.
0: Mel Stottlemyre.
1: Nicest guy, but sneaky.
0: Sneaky, okay. Yeah. Roger McDowell.
1: Roger McDowell, the funniest guy I ever met.
0: Jesse Orosco.
1: Jesse, when we done, i got a funny story to tell about Jesse, but Jesse was a ultimate competitor, he could pitch forever. Okay. What's the funny story? The funny story. Is so we are in St. Petersburg. I mm-hmm. moved my family after we had a scuffle with the cops.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I moved all my family from Tampa to St. Pete, right? And it's this nice house on the water. So I'm getting for me and my parents. Mm-hmm. So I go there and, and the, um, the lady goes, "Well, we have a guy coming here tomorrow to get this house." And I'm like. Did he put anything down? Say no. I said, what if I give you a check now? Can I get it? She said, give me a check now. It's yours. I give it a check to get the house. kind of find out it was Jesse going buy the house the next day. Uh, <laughs> he goes, Doc, how you do I said, I didn't know it was you. She right. didn't say no names, nothing. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. And today when I see him, he still get on me about that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy.
0: Oh, my God. That's funny. Okay, just a few more. Derek Jeter.
1: Derek Jeter, the most talented guy and consistent guy. Well, not talent. Most consistent guy. Consistent ever
0: in baseball, Mariano Rivera, the
1: best closer ever. Joe Torre. Joe Torre, um, oof, you got me. No, I don't really care for Joe Torre. Okay. Um,
0: well, that's good enough. Okay, Aaron Boone.
1: Uh, Aaron Boone, great guy. I don't really know him too much.
0: Okay. George Steinbrenner,
1: best owner. ownership be in the Hall of Fame. Best guy, tough, toughest guy, but the most caring guy I ever
0: met. Doc Gooden.
1: Doc Gooden. Again, quiet guy, caring guy, loves people
0: Okay, I love that Um, Looking back, is there anything you would have done differently in your career?
1: Uh, My career? Mm -hmm. On the field, nothing Off the field, plenty
0: um, all right, tell us what you're doing now. I know you're helping kids.
1: Yeah, now we're helping kids. Well, I do a lot of stuff for Hackensack Hospital, mm-hmm. cancer patients. I spend a lot of time with the kids, with their families, because the families come in. They fly from different states to be with the kids. So I just try to be there. They like they talk baseball with them. If they want to take a game, right. take them to a game. Just kind of get they the mood in. Just try to get them happy for if it's just an hour. Talk yeah. to them in a bit. Deal with um, teen addictions. We're doing that stuff as well. Okay. And now. We get ready to start a baseball school in, in New York. In amazing! Oh yes. my God, I love but that. But it's not going to be just about baseball. It's going to be about life, helping right. kids. You know, the place they can come after school, do their homework, we talk about. So really, mentoring that. Mentoring too, as well. Oh, amazing! So we use baseball to get their attention, and then we switch it to yeah. life on life terms.
0: Yeah. Um incidentally I'm just curious, what other sport do you love to watch?
1: Football. Like I I love watching football, board, and baseball, and unfortunately really? I'm a Giants fan. Oh. Which okay. it's been tough.
0: So I have to ask you then, are you obsessed with Travis and Taylor? Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey? No, not really. <laughs> you don't care about this love no, story. I don't
1: care about that. I'm a Giants all over. I'm a diehard Giants fan. If it's okay. if it was like Saquon Barkley and somebody, then <laughs> yes.
0: Then you would care. Then I would care.
1: Okay.
0: All right. Um all right, I guess that's it. Was there Nothing. is there anything I'm missing? Oh, tell me the date next year. Do you know? Oh, April 14th. So every
1: time April 14th, which is the day after my daughter's birthday okay. and a week before my mom's birthday. Amazing. Yes, okay, so yeah.
0: we are all rooting for you. Thank We've you. always been rooting for yes. you, and I just wish you the best.
1: Thank you, and I appreciate your friendship, and it's good to talk to you as yeah, well. Yeah, you too. Keep I'm doing gonna, a great job. I'm
0: going to give you a hug. Thanks.